0: Now the Jack Riccardi show. Hey Jack. Hey Dennis. I was just checking. You know how you can on these weather apps, you can customize the weather for like your street and your neighborhood, and it said um, I have a good, really good chance of rain before the end of this year. So, oh, that's good. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, uh, planning for that. Well, good afternoon. It's it's a busy day. We've got a lot to talk about, and I hope you'll be a part of it. At two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. During the final minutes of our show yesterday, and unbeknownst to us at the time, a terrible thing was being discovered. A terrible um, scene was unfolding, and um, apparently, a city worker first found this eighteen-wheeler uh, parked on Quintana Road, and it was just sitting there. And there appeared to be a guy laying in the in the dirt behind the truck. Turned out to be dead. Turned out that truck was full of dead people. At last count, 51 dead and an undetermined number of people still hanging on to life in a truck. Yesterday was over 100 degrees in a truck with no air conditioning, no water, no vent holes. And these were human uh, people, humans being smuggled. This was human trafficking. This was the real face of illegal immigration. And it's infuriating, and disturbing, and heartbreaking. You don't know what to do first. You don't know whether to to pray for the souls or pray down condemnation on the idiots that make this happen, or the evil demons that take the money to transport these people and then abandon them. There is so much evil in the industry of illegal immigration because illegal immigration overlaps with human trafficking. And I think a big problem we have, and I wanna know what you think about this, but I wanna, I'll want to start with this. I think a big problem that we have is these ignorant or naive politicians who make the face of illegal immigration, a little girl with a rainbow t-shirt, or a little boy with a balloon or a beach ball. But the real face of illegal immigration are people that suffocated to death under other people in the back of a truck. The real face of illegal immigration is human trafficking. People who give all the money they have to a, to a devil who does this to them. and doesn't even have the decency to provide water. They transport people worse than they transport cattle. And our politicians are broadly to blame for this. I mean, the, the traffickers are to blame, and I hope they catch every son of a bitch that did this and, and throw the book at them. But the politicians are to blame for being naive about it or pretending to be and romanticizing it and, and, and giving us lectures like we don't like we, we don't need anymore about we're a nation of immigrants and all of that. This is the truth. They don't even give them water. They can't even breathe. They take their money and they leave them to die, and it happens over and over again again and i'm not interested i'm not interested in the political line on this you don't have to give me the republican line on it or the democratic line on it i've heard all that what would you do to fix it and in fixing it you have to acknowledge that we are a a prosperous country and a free country in a hemisphere full of poor and unfree countries so people are always going to want to come here you can't change that But I think when you enforce the border, when you enforce your, on the books, already passed, already in place, immigration laws, you reduce the opportunity, you don't eliminate it, but you reduce the opportunity for these demons to take these people and then kill them. And they are devils. I mean, these are devils. This is not, let's not mince words here. These are evil people that would do this to a, a, a truckload of human beings. How do you fix it? What would you do to fix it? What's the answer to this? And, you know, we've tried a couple of things in recent years. We've seen two very different uh, approaches, and I, I'm curious to know what you think. We had an approach that was very uh, strict about the border, even to put, uh, put up a wall. And we saw the numbers go down. And then we've seen an approach in the last couple of years that both uh, openly and tacitly encourages people to come and incents people to try. And what you're really incenting them to do is you're incenting them to take a tremendous risk, to take a tremendous gamble with their health or even their life. Is that responsible? Is that the right thing to do? Does that look like the right thing to do? What do you think? How would you fix this? 210 599 The Department of Homeland Security, a few days ago, before this happened, put out a circular to its, uh, well, actually, to all federal employees, not just its own, but to all federal employees, offering them the chance to do a 60-day volunteer stint along the southern border. So they're asking federal employees to take a leave and come down to the border and hand out clothes and blankets and meals and pick up trash and process illegal immigrants. So that's your government's response. It's a volunteer, it's a call for volunteers like we're having a neighborhood garage sale. I I find that unserious. I don't know about you. So now that we've got the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade, we're hearing from the Democrats about what should be done next. By the way, they don't talk about what they could have done any time in the last 49 years, which would have been to codify Roe v. Wade. They never did it, and their supporters never seem to ask them why they never did it it's very curious to me it 's not the first time a political party has has promised something and never delivered on it, but it would be a good time maybe if you ever run across a democratic office holder just to ask him or her, gee, you had forty nine years you had presidents, you had majorities what's the deal anyway, The ideas they have now are uh, some I- include these uh, one idea um, is to um pass a law that says women can travel uh, between the states for any reason. You might say to yourself, I thought women already could travel between the states (laughs) for any reason, but uh, they think that some Republican states will try to block women and imprison women within their states so that women who live in a non-abortion state wouldn't be able to travel to a state with abortion. Um, That sounds ridiculous to me, but it's a good talking point for the Democrats. Another idea, I don't know if you've heard this one, Elizabeth Warren's been talking this up, is to put um, abortion clinics run by the federal government in the national parks. Quote, they could put up tents, this is what she said, they could put up tents, have trained personnel, and be there to help people who need it. It's a medical emergency, added Warren. Now, it would be Elizabeth Warren, of all people, who would like the idea of putting up tents on federal land for abortions. Abortion in a tent at a national park. That sounds very Elizabeth Warren. But I was intrigued by her use of the word, it's a medical emergency. Remember the last thing that was declared a medical emergency? And do you remember what that enabled or empowered people in politics to do? So watch that. That's interesting. This is going to be the funniest thing you've ever heard on this show, and it is not me saying it, but... Uh, you probably should pull over. You probably should put down a beverage if you're drinking anything right now. Hillary Clinton, in an interview with Gail King, complained yesterday that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas is a person full of grievance and resentment. <laughs> I mean, pot, meat, kettle. Clarence Thomas is full of grievance and resentment, said the former first lady. I went to law school with him, she said. They weren't in the same year, but you know how the Clintons are, they. Details don't matter. I went to law school with him, she said. He has always been a person of grievance for as long as I've known him. Resentment and grievance, she said. Hmm. I can't imagine why a black man going to an Ivy League school would have any resentment or grievance. I, I, what what possibly could have brought that on? Um, she really is a, a delight, isn't she? Of all people to accuse someone else of being full of resentment and grievance. Takes one to know one, Hillary. Our next guest, we always learn from uh, Todd Benzman, is a senior national fellow, uh, security fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, and uh, in a prior lifetime was an award-winning journalist who covered many things, including the southern border. His byline often seen among other places in the San Antonio Express News. And he joins us now in the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line, Todd Bensman, And I think everybody looks at this this story of the semi and the fifty-one dead and they want to know uh h- how does this happen and w- what do we do about it
1: well yeah this is just an awful awful uh tragedy and you can't help but you know want to um you know put prayers out for the victims of that thing and their families um the way i'm looking at the way i'm looking at this is um you know, the people that are making their way into the country aboard these smuggling vehicles, you know tractor trailers, are typically the ones who are being targeted for the Title 42 pushbacks, right? Those are the, that's the pandemic instant expulsions that Border Patrol is entitled to do mm-hmm. for the pandemic. Um, not everybody gets pushed back but there are certain nationalities that do, including Mexicans and Central Americans from Guatemala, uh, Honduras, and El Salvador typically get pushed back. And so, you know, why do they try to get in anyway? Um, Well, there's a tremendous incentive for them to try to get past Border Patrol by any means possible, and that is that You know, once they're into the interior of the United States, the Biden administration has eliminated almost all deportations. So there's there's no longer it's like a big it has been a big deportation free zone, which is a tremendous, powerful magnet enticement, because that means that you can live and work inside the United States for as long as the Biden administration is in in office. And so, you know, they try to punch through and huge numbers. Uh, they run. They call them runners. And then runners become gotaways. Well, the, they're incentivized to get through uh, to avoid Title 42 pushbacks. But then once they're past the 100-mile mark, that's the jurisdiction, that board, that's Border Patrol jurisdiction between mm-hmm. the border and 100 miles out. The that they're reaching to get to mile marker 101, right? So then they're free, nobody's gonna deport them for years. Mm -hmm. It's my belief that there that these these people would probably be alive today had they not been, you know, told by the cartels that all they got to do is get past the border patrol and they're home free, and that it not be true, uh, which it, it is true now. Unfortunately, the uh, uh, federal judge in Texas just vacated all of that uh, last week, and it became the order that you have to do regular deportations. ICE has to be freed to deport whoever they want to deport. When the law says they have to deport, they deport, and that just went into effect on Saturday. Mm -hmm. So um a little bit too late for these guys but hopefully word will pass that ice is deporting again Mm -hmm.
0: when you when you say it incents the the immigrant does it also incent the 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 traffickers in other words are they bolder is it is it obvious to you that they are bolder or taking more chances than before because we know there's we know there's always been people in our hemisphere that want to come into the united states but what has the as the people have have the people that that transport them become bolder
1: well i think they're just re you know they're they're adaptive uh highly adaptive so they're just adapting to changing circumstances on the ground so for example you know a lot of interior checkpoints uh on highways are are abandoned now all over you know the borderlands they took them off because They need those border patrol agents to process in the families that they're letting in. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of families being let into South Texas, so they're getting pulled from all over the border to come do the paperwork. And they're pulling them from the checkpoints. So the smugglers understand that their odds are better now of getting their loads through where there used to be checkpoints. So I don't know if that's bolder. But it's Mm -hmm. just, you know, they're just being rational, smart, you know, smugglers, you know. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, all these checkpoints are abandoned now. And you can see them. I mean, I've driven by a lot of them that are just, you know, there might be a parked Border Patrol vehicle there, but they're closed. Mm. They're not checking trucks anymore.
0: In, In your experience, you've seen all kinds of different administrations and policy approaches is something like this apt to move the needle with this administration? It doesn't seem like it, but would it?
1: Well, because what's happening is that it's, the whole thing is falling along partisan lines. So, right. so I'm seeing people out there saying, well, if you weren't enforcing, if it weren't for Title 42, they wouldn't have gotten on the, on the sure. trucks. Yeah. So their, their argument is no enforcement. Enforcement kills and then that's on the on the far left enforcement kills don't do enforcement if you do enforcement you're going to kill people and that's where the biden people are and so uh and then o- over on the right they're saying things like what you're hearing from me is that you know as long as you have these enticing your prizes just on the other side where there's no deportation and there's no detention and there's they've just kind of torn it all down um you know, they're arguing that more enforcement is what's yeah. going to make people stay home. Yeah. So the Biden people are falling on the, you know, we shouldn't have any enforcement at all, no enforcement. Mm-hmm. And that way they can all just walk in peacefully and not have to hide, <laughs> you know, just come out, come on right in. But, you know, I don't know any country in the world that does
2: that.
0: Well, so, we're, 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 we're I bad. guess we're living the experiment right now. Um, and yeah, it's not, that's right. It's not looking good. Todd Bensman at the Center for Immigration Studies. Always appreciate your time when you come on with us and thank you for coming on today.
1: Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: All right. We'll talk to you again. Um, tell me what you think. 210-599-5555. I wonder now if AOC will pose next to a tractor trailer truck somewhere else, not down here. Uh, that'd be too much trouble. Will she pose uh, all in white, weeping and bent over with grief next to a, an 18-wheeler in Virginia? Or will Kamala Harris come to San Antonio, you know, the border czar? I mean, it, 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 he's right. I mean, this is basically now the debate between having borders kills people and not having borders kills people it's really ridiculously oversimplified but i mean that that that's that's what the politicians are doing they're having a snowball fight about this
3: so the plight of migrants seeking refuge is always a humanitarian crisis but we are dealing with a horrific human tragedy so i would urge you all to think compassionately and pray for the deceased the ailing the families and we hope that those responsible for Putting these people in such humane conditions are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law.
0: What do you think about this story? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's just heartbreaking. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what side of it you are. These are human beings, and they're, they're our fellow human beings. Uh, I, I, I think a lot about why people make the crossing, make the trip, because uh, like a lot of you, I'm, I'm the grandchild of immigrants. And my grandparents, on my father's side, made a very harrowing ocean going crossing to get here and didn't know what they would encounter and didn't know if they would be taken in or allowed to come in um, at Ellis island and um and And I feel like all that will always be true i hope I hope we will always be a country that other people want to come to you, whatever you think about our immigration policy we don't We don't want to not be a country that other people look at and go, I'd be better off there. But what we do about our borders matters. And it gives our elected officials, it gives our government a moral responsibility that's not unlike being the lifeguard at a pool or, you know, being directing traffic. What they decide to do about the border can get people killed. It's not a place for theories. It's not a place for naivete. It's not a place to virtue signal. And I think we have all of that going on right now. I, I think you can pretty much guarantee that the left is trying to do other things with the border other than enforce it. Whether you believe it's replacement, whether you believe it's virtue signaling to the, the uh, members of its base... What they're not trying to do right now, what their policies are clearly not aimed at preventing or reducing right now, is what happened on Quintana Road last night. So, what do we do? What would you do? 210 599 5555. Um, Steve writes, jack at ktsa.com I'm not for illegal immigration, but I'm also not for anyone suffering a horrible death like these people did. How many more times will this have to happen? Why do these drivers not at least supply these people with some ice chests or bottled water or A.C.? He writes, the finger-pointing started immediately with the Castro sisters and Beta and Ron and others. I can't believe what I'm seeing these days. Losers to the right of me, jokers to the left, and here I am stuck in the middle. Mike and Bernie writes to Jack at KTSA.com. I wonder how many people have died from school shootings versus how many die in the back of smugglers' trucks or in the desert on the border. I don't think they're in the same league. And then you have Hillary Clinton letting us in on how personally acquainted she is with Clarence Thomas. And Clarence Thomas is the African-American the Democrats have no use for. They finally found one. He's, He's no good. That guy's no good. He's full of grievance, says the woman who still thinks she won the 2016 presidential election, who wrote a book Wondering aloud, what happened to me? <laughs> How can I not be president? Think of all the people that have run for president and didn't make it. Think of all the great Americans that never became president. But Hillary Clinton can't believe, can't freaking believe. And she's pointing the finger of grievance at somebody else? By the way, Whoopley Goldberg went on a, a rant about Clarence Thomas. They haven't talked about Clarence Thomas this much since he was appointed to the Supreme Court, I don't think. But The the View, in case you don't know this, and there's no reason you would know it, and don't ask me why I know it, The View is on location at a Caribbean resort this week. And instead of just sort of lightening up a little and enjoying the surroundings and having umbrella drinks and palm trees, they're down there griping about abortion. Because that's what you do when you're in the Caribbean. Obviously, any of us would do that. But Whoopi Goldberg went on a rant about Clarence Thomas. She didn't like him at all. Listen to this, cut number 10.
4: What's next as Clarence Thomas is signaling Mm -hmm. they would like to get rid of contraception? Mm -hmm. Do you understand, sir? No, because you don't have to use it. But that's crazy. They don't have to use it. You better hope that they don't come for you, Clarence, and say you should not be married to your wife who happens to be white because they will move back. You better hope that's that nobody nice. says, you know, well, you're not in the Constitution. You're back to being a quarter We're of a back person. back to the 50s. That's not going to work either.
0: Mm. Um. Sounds like a good time. I wish I could be there with them. Um. I I got to ask the question. If you're Whoopi Goldberg and you think that a prominent African American man is about to be come for, wouldn't you defend him? He's your brother. Wouldn't you fight for him? If, if if you're such a good person, Whoopi Goldberg, and I used to think you were, and maybe you are, wouldn't you defend Clarence Thomas's interracial marriage of many years to Ginny Thomas? Wouldn't you say, not, you better look out, but hell no. I mean, if you believe And and I don't know if you do or not, but if you believe that the Dobbs decision is going to lead to um, African Americans being taken out of society, quarter of a person, not counted in the census, not allowed to vote, not allowed to marry white women or men, if that's what you believe, then you should be girding and gearing up for a fight, and I will be with you because there's no way in hell I'm going to let that happen. That is not going to happen. We're not going back on interracial marriage or voting or quarter of a person or whatever it was. No, we're not. But notice that she doesn't say that. She doesn't say that will never happen, we will not. She says you better look out. So all the while the left tells you that they're defending the oppressed, Doesn't sound like it there. It sounds like, you know, we'll defend you if we like you. It's a very different thing, isn't it? You think about great, the leaders of great movements. They were inclusive, right? We're fighting for everyone. Not, well, we're fighting for the ones we like, the good ones. These are very small people, they have fame and name recognition. They're very, very small people when you get right down to it.
4: You better hope like that they don't come for you, Clarence, and say you should not be married to your wife oh. who happens to be white.
0: That sounds like something a southern white racist would have said, not a northern urban African-American woman. You know, that's just what I can't get over. 210-599-5555. So President Biden was at the G7 uh, summit in, uh, in uh, Austria, I think it was, and... um. He was talking with some of the other leaders, and um, remember that you've heard recently that Biden may go to Saudi Arabia and the UAE and beg them to pump more oil. President Macron of France was overheard telling Biden that he's already talked to MBS and Saudi Arabia and the president of the UAE, and that they've told him those countries are already at or very close to full production capacity. And in fact, the UAE last night tweeted on their official government account that they would like to clarify that they are currently producing near their uh, maximum uh, production and that they are committed to that um, for the foreseeable future. There isn't more Arabian oil to be had, is what Macron is telling Biden. And I, I think it's it's almost mind-blowing that the President of the United States would have to be informed, let in, by the President of France about this simple truism, this simple fact. He's been here telling us everybody could do more. You know, he's hearing it from the industry at large. He's hearing it from the domestic oil industry as well. Uh, They're telling him You can have your fun. You can wage your war of words on American oil. uh, But we're not going to be able to bail you out of the decisions uh, that you've made. And we've talked about this on the show. This administration is vilifying oil and calling for more of it at the same time. That's, That's a tough trick to pull off. You know, you can do one or the other. It's hard to do both. It's hard to stomp on people and then demand more of them at the same time. And that's basically what's happening. Some of the quotes from the president. um, On June 15th, he said, we're in a time of war, and it's not acceptable that the oil industries have a high profit margin. He said, uh, American families need immediate action. Your companies need to work with my administration. On June 10th, he said, Exxon has more money than God. But CNBC recently reported that refiners are already at 95% utilization rates. Where does the rest come from? And the reason we don't have more oil and more refining capacity is because there's been this incessant push for green energy. Energy. Somebody pointed out that in 2020, ExxonMobil lost $22, million, $22 billion. So, yes, they made a nice profit in 2021, but they took a huge hit in 2020. Where were the politicians then? There's 65,000 people that work for that company. Where were the politicians worrying about them then? No, it's easy to talk about them making big profits in the years that they do, But no one said boo when they took a loss. And turning a profit, of course, is evil and greedy and wrong, except when it isn't, right? That's the thing about the left. The economy they want is not an economy where no one would make a big profit, but where the only people making big profits would be people they like. They want to decide which companies are virtuous and deserve to make a profit, and which companies aren't and don't. So when a company that's profitable becomes unprofitable, they don't say anything, then it returns to profitability, and all of a sudden it's important to denounce them. This really isn't a war on oil. This is really a war on capitalism. And if you don't recognize that by now, you need to know that whatever business you're in, this is a war on what you do, too. It's easy to think, It's just the oil companies because politicians have always kind of walled them off and talked about them like they were separate. But um, it's a war on capitalism. And and to the extent that it is a war on petroleum and petroleum-based products, we talked about this a little bit the other day, there's hundreds and hundreds of products that use petroleum derivatives. So when you end, quote-unquote, oil and gas, you're also ending things made with, various materials whether it's stereo speakers or golf balls or kitchen utensils or hair curlers or house paint everything from pharmaceutical products to cosmetics ballpoint pens a lot of upholstery a lot of clothing let's let's end all that too cuz we're going to be intense in the national parks with elizabeth warren so we won't need all that anyway 51 dead is the current uh, death toll from illegal immigrants left to smother and suffocate to death in that in that uh, truck. We've been talking about the uh, war on oil and the war on Clarence Thomas and many other things. 210-599-5555. Carlos is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Carlos, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Hey, I'm very, very upset with the San Antonio mayor. I heard him on the radio say that those 50 deaths were the fault of Congress because they don't pass immigration reform laws. I wish someone would inter- interview him. You get him on your show and ask him, "How about the current laws we have? Why don't Why don't Biden enforce the immigration laws and quit encouraging them to be able to come over here? We all know he's responsible for disaster, among others, is our border problem. What's your comment on that?
0: Well, first of all, I- I'm I'm kind of over. I guess we lost Carlos. I wish he'd hung on. Um, I didn't get a chance to offend him. He's already hung up. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of over politicians that literally stand on the bodies of dead people and repeat the talking points they've already. It, y- y- the only time you should say something right after a bunch of people have died is if you have something new to say about it, <laughs> but they don't. Um, so I'm, I, I yes. Ron Nirenberg is is a is a very predictable cookie cutter politician. Who, I mean, for a guy that's supposed to be nonpartisan, he, he's one of the best Democrats I've ever met. I mean, he he just he is right down the line. But but whether it's it's Ron Nirenberg or it's Ted Cruz, I I get it. I get your position. Okay, I, I I get you would have done this. You should have done that. It was the last administration. It's this administration. We need to start, you and I need to start talking about this in ways that make sense in the real world. Because theories are not why people come here. Political philosophies are not why people come here. Red and blue states are not why people come here. People come here because in much of the rest of the hemisphere, they're miserable. And they're going to try to come here, whether Ron DeSantis is the president, Donald Trump is the president, Joe Biden is the president, Kamala Harris, you name it. What you do about it matters because real people's lives are affected. Not only the dead immigrants, but how about the Americans who live on the border? They call our show all the time. I wish every talk show had the kind of callers we get like Omar and some of the others who live on the border and say, look, you, you have no idea what's happening. You can't believe what has happened to our lives, to our communities, to our land, to our children. And they don't hate the people that are coming, but they hate the fact that their own government has abandoned them to this, has, has left them to this. That's what—that's the problem here, and so it does no good, in my opinion, for the Ron Nirenbergs and the others to, to 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 talk about it with their usual talking points. What has to happen? And I'm no expert on it. That's why we had Todd Benzman on, and we're going to talk to some other people as we go along. We're going to get Congressman Tony Gonzalez in here uh, in a little while, but. I think what has to happen is you you need to have a a position or a, a policy on the border that is serious, that isn't based on virtue signaling or somebody's naive theories, right? It's dangerous to be trafficked. It's dangerous to give all your money to these coyotes. It's dangerous to try to cross the desert when it's 115 degrees. Don't do it and we're going to not only block our border but we're going to really send every message we can and make every move we can to say don't even try I want you to be afraid of trying because that will save your life and that's not what we're doing we're treating it like it's a hypothetical like it's it's a thought exercise and people are dying you should be mad about that. I don't care which side of this you're on. People are dying because of a theory that if you open the border and if you suspend enforcement of it and if you don't uh, deport, that that's kindness. How, do, how how does that look to you right now? And in the meantime, I want to ask you today, have you heard the latest on the J6 hearing? Now, you might remember a while back, I told you that they had announced they weren't going to have any more hearings in June. They were going to resume in, in July. And then the, this morning, they called a ad hoc, we've got to do it right now, special uh, new evidence hearing for the January 6th committee. And the special evidence was a new witness named Cassidy Hutchison. Cassidy Hutchison was an aide to Mark Meadows. Mark Meadows, the former congressman who became Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff. So Cassidy Hutchison testified today about a series of things that she either witnessed or heard happen on and around January 6th. And it was almost like, remember the movie Forrest Gump, where Forrest was... In all of these places that were historic, and you know all these moments that were historic, he was there when this happened, and there when that happened. And well, Cassidy Hutchison is like Forrest Gump; she was there for everything. So let me just run down a few of these things for you. And I've, I don't know anything about her. I don't. I don't know any background on her other than what's been reported today. I had never heard of her until today. But he, she says that um, among other things. The um, president knew that there were armed supporters of his wanting to get into his rally at the Ellipse, that Trump wanted to go to the Capitol and be there with his supporters on January 6th, but that his own advisors and ultimately, finally, the Secret Service told him, you can't go, it's not safe. She says the president was in the limo with his Secret Service detail arguing with them and berating them for not taking him. And then he lunged, Donald Trump lunged at the steering wheel and told the head of his detail, I'm the effing president, take me to the Capitol now and that the Secret Service agent said, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. Do you believe this? Do you find this credible? Do you, um, and if you do believe it, what do you make of it? If you don't believe it, what do you make of it? She says that um, a few days before January 6th, her boss, Mark Meadows, had a conversation with her in which he told her things might get real real bad on January 6th. January 6th was the the day of the electoral college certification. Meaning that Meadows knew something bad was brewing or to be ready for it. The testimony says that the president knew the crowd was armed and dangerous. Um, he was mad that they were using metal detectors to keep armed people out of the area, saying quote, "I don't effing care if they have weapons. They're not here to hurt me. Let them in." The president today has the former president today has uh, commented almost immediately on all of this. He says it's sick and fraudulent like the committee itself he says he never compared uh, complained about the crowd he doesn't know who Cassidy Hutchinson is he doesn't believe she was there um the media believe that this is the the end for trump how many times have you heard that but they say no this will be different because this will go to witness tampering and criminal charges if not for him for people around him and now he can't he can't ever run for president again and you know, I, I, I can see where they would say that because that's the purpose of the January 6th committee. It isn't to find out what happened on January 6th. In fact, the January 6th committee is doing more to prevent us from knowing what's happening than it is to open our eyes or illuminate what's happening. We're, we're being kept from raw documentary footage. We're being kept from uh, cameras, footage from cameras that were in the building. By the way, I think of that as our property. We're the taxpayers. We buy all this stuff. Anything a government camera picked up on January 6th is mine and yours before it's anybody else's, but not according to them. So the real purpose of this is not to find out the truth. The real purpose of this is to make sure this, this guy's not coming back. Do you think they accomplished that today? Do you do you believe her? I'm asking. I want to know what you think. 210 five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Um I I have to say uh I'm having a little bit of, of a hard time with a couple of her details. I mean you've seen Donald Trump, right? Do you imagine him um physically tussling with Secret Service agents? You know, so some, some guy that does like uh, you know works out every day and <laughs> you know, is is very fit and trained. And here's two hundred and seventy five pound Donald Trump lunging at the steering wheel. I I mean that's just I don't know. I'm not I'm not I'm having a hard time with that one. I can broadly believe he had a temper tantrum or a hissy fit. On January sixth. And I the stuff he said about Mike Pence is 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 disrespectful and ignorant and wrong. And it's sad to hear because I think Mike Pence was really loyal to Donald Trump, and I don't think Donald Trump has returned that loyalty. But some of her stuff just sounds a little too good to be true. It sounds a little bit like a committee that is gasping for relevancy, trying to stay in the headlines. You know, they claim that they couldn't reveal in advance that she was going to testify because of fear for her life. I don't know if you heard this or not today. A man named Michael Stenger has been found dead. They found him Monday night. He was 71. Michael Stenger was the sergeant-at-arms of the U.S. Senate on January 6th. He resigned the next day, as did his counterpart in the House, because Nancy Pelosi blamed Stenger and the other man for not adequately securing the Capitol. Stenger is essentially the doorkeeper of the Senate chamber. He is not, by the way, a Trump supporter. He has denounced the attack on January 6th. He's called it out. He's no fan of it. And now he's dead found dead the blame was put on him and some other underlings well they didn't deploy the National Guard or request it or request security or call for help they let this happen when I saw the headline that he was dead I I, I had a kind of an Epstein moment you know like this is just so typical so convenient. I, I hope I'm wrong, but that's what I thought. So help me. So um, they had their bombshell testimony from their surprise witness. This is the this changes everything. The walls are closing in on Donald Trump today at the J6. We've heard this before. What did you think? What do you think? Two ten, five nine nine, fifty five, fifty five. In the meantime, predictable party lines. After the 51 found dead in the back of the tractor trailer on Quintana Road here in San Antonio, we're talking about that right now with R.J. Haman, who's the director of government relations and communications at Federation for American Immigration Reform on our KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. And R.J., it's good to have you back with us. Um, I was saying earlier that I think one of the things that plagues us when it comes to the border and and border politics is the politics part. It's it's the the struggle between theory and reality you know you can you can give speeches about nation of immigrants and we're welcoming and we're compassionate and walls don't work and so forth but the the reality of the border is what happened in the back of that truck yesterday i mean that's that's what happens when theories or naivete fail us
5: No, you're spot on. And again, first and foremost, I mean, this is an unspeakable tragedy and and it can't happen again. But I mean, I'll I'll be straightforward. This is on President Biden and Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. I mean, due not only to their passive stance on border security, but actual decisions they've made. I mean, they've ended remain in Mexico. They've tried to end Title 42. They stopped border wall construction. They rarely deport anyone in the interior of the country. And they're trying to rubber stamp fraudulent asylum claims. I mean, I could go on and on. And, and while, you know, when we get into that political part of this, you know, while Republicans here in Washington, where I am, you know, correctly blame the Biden administration for such an event, Mexican and Guatemalan leaders said the same thing today. Mexico's President Manuel Lopez uh, Obrador blamed a lack of control not only at our border but at the interior of our country and then guatemala's president noted that the biden administration has an overall lukewarm message they say don't come because we won't let you in but their policies do the opposite so you have migrants from not only their countries but just from all the way around the world are taking note of that And they're using dangerous cartels smugglers and traffickers to make the journey in and the end result can be tragic situations like yesterday in san antonio
0: you know, I've been, um, in all the years I've done this, I've had you and, and other folks from FAIR and other immigration organizations on the show. And in the past, RJ, we were talking about or we were debating different ways of getting to the same place. But we're not we're not having a debate anymore about what would be the best way to enforce the border. We have a political party whose argument is Border enforcement itself is a bad thing, that having the border is why this happened or, or uh, you know, th- that's why people take chances. And so we're no longer arguing about the best way to do the right thing. We're really divided over what the right thing is.
5: No, no, and you're spot on if you look at Beto O'Rourke's response to this. Is he's basically saying, OK, this can't happen again. And listen, restrictionists like us and all Republicans in Washington, we agree with that. It can't. But again, what is his solution? His solution is to open the border. He wants he everybody to come in legally. And again, as tragic as, the, as this event is, all these people are economic migrants that are coming up here because they want a better life. And I understand that. But again, What Democrats want to do is have the borders be completely open and the people who not only break our laws, but they they come through a very deeply flawed system, can stay here for good and and as many can come in as humanly possible.
0: What do you say, and this goes, I'm going to go back a ways now here, I'm going to go old school here, but years and years ago, I think it was the Libertarian Party that used to say the answer to the border is no border, uh, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have people dying of illegal immigration. You wouldn't have cartels. You wouldn't have human smuggling. Um, we ought to. Just, we're, we're, we're a prosperous country. We could certainly accommodate more people to work and fill up our workforces. What, what is your response to that argument that the best response to the southern border would be an open border?
5: Well, well, first it's not. But I mean, at least with libertarians like that, at least they're honest. Okay, because you have the Biden administration out there and all Democrats, too. They're saying that they do support border security and making sure things like this happen. Listen, you know, we're in a very different part. Um, Of the world right now, again, you know, we've seen recent reports that you had around 20 people on the terror watch list come into the country. Again, we have a drug crisis like we've never seen before, the amount of fentanyls coming in. And that's what we always say up here in Washington. I know Texas is a border state, but every state is a border state. And people honestly need to realize that, again, this is a different time. But, again, the parties are so far apart. You have one that just wants amnesty and open borders, and the other that wants restriction. And I'll tell you, you know, we've always had concerns with Republicans that they didn't really want to accomplish this. And I will say, the one, you know, it's, I, it's a silver lining. But again, we do not want this. But now Republicans are realizing, oh crap! You know, we should have actually done this stuff when Trump was in office and made the border so secure that it would be not as easy to dismantle yeah. like the Biden administration has. You know, though,
0: I think I think for a lot of Republicans, not all of them, but for a lot of Republicans. Um, illegal immigration is kind of like what abortion was for a lot of Democrats. It was a fundraising thing. It was a excite the base thing. They didn't really want to fix it. They just wanted to talk about it.
5: No, and that's a spot on thing. That's why we have a three point ask pretty much for Republicans. We form one of the largest coalitions up here in Washington. Every pretty much big conservative group up here. And we have three asks you know, right out the gate. You do a, a border security bill, HR one through 10. You address this crisis right out the gate. But number two, you're aggressive on oversight. You know, you did a Benghazi committee. They're doing January 6th. Get to the root causes of the border crisis. And then number three, Republicans will control the purse strings in Washington. Just don't give funding To, you know, these agencies that they've corrupted it to go from, you know, U.S. Customs and Border Protection to U.S. Customs and Border Processing. There is a lot that can be done. And Republicans, if they take back, you know, both chambers, I think it will be at least one. They got to do something about it. Gone are the days, okay, of just tweeting the border crisis is bad. You know, it's historic. It's the worst ever time to do something about it.
0: RJ Haman at Fair Federation for American Immigration Reform. RJ, thank you. Appreciate having you today. Um, we're going to update KTSA time saver traffic here soon. I want to, I want to talk about this with you and about the, the J6 surprise witness and see what you think. 210-599-5555. We're not going to have a lot of time. So grab a line if you want to get in on this because otherwise I'll move on to some other, uh, to some other things. Um, yeah, I, to me, um, I don't know how you feel about it. Um, this, this lady's testimony almost goes too far. Like, if she had just picked one of these things, one of these anecdotes, but the fact that she just happened to be here and happened to be there and happened to see this and happened to know that, it's, it seems like a lot for kind of a junior staffer uh, person. And the, the one I'm, I'm really stuck on, i got to be honest, I don't know about you, is the limo one. Because if you look at the, the president's limo well first if you first of you look at the president, I don't see Donald Trump going over the back seat of a Taurus, much less the beast. I just don't. But secondly, I really don't think, if I'm picturing it right, that you can get to the steering wheel and grab onto it like you're um, you know, some crazed Uber passenger. I I don't think it's built that way. Um, And I don't think that this part of the story holds together. Now, does it mean everything she said is untrue? No, but if she embellished, or if one of these is made up, then you're going to have a problem with all of it. Um, I I do believe he probably was was angry. And one of the things I, I have always wondered is, where did Donald Trump get his ideas about... January 6th, and the days leading up to it. Were there people around him who were correctly explaining to him what his best options and alternatives were after that election? I I think his legal team sucked. I think they were a bunch of losers and attention-getters and, you know, ambulance chasers. They latched on to him like he was a milk cow. Yeah, I'm looking at you, Rudy Giuliani, Okay. So I think he had terrible legal advice, and that kind of makes me wonder if maybe he just had bad advice all around. Whatever Donald Trump knew about the Constitution, whatever he knew about the process of certifying an election, would have had to come from the people around him. Who were these people? What did they tell him? And does that explain why he was angry or frustrated at Mike Pence? So I can believe that. And I was talking about this off the air with somebody. I, I think probably every American president whether we will ever know it or not, has had moments of rage and anger in his presidency. Probably stuff gets thrown and angry epithets get hurled. But did he actually fight with the Secret Service agents and try to grab the wheel? I'm not seeing that. Um, All right, so we got a lot of stuff in the news today. Uh, We're talking about gas prices, the war on oil. We're talking about the um, J-6 Committee and the surprise witness that's going to polish off Donald Trump's political fortunes and 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 have him uh in prison that's what they think her testimony is so incendiary and explosive but does she know what she's talking about is she credible what do you find her if you watched it or if you've seen any clips of it do you believe her what do you think this is uh, where do you think this is all going and then of course the big story San Antonio again for the second time in a very short span is the biggest is the the site or the, the location of the biggest story. And this time it's fifty-one dead illegal immigrants in the back of a locked tractor trailer truck. And um as you heard um RJ Haman and Todd Benzman earlier saying The politicians in this country are still defending their theories about the border and about immigration, but this is about the reality of it. This is about what really happens, what really works. And even foreign leaders are calling this a failure of America's border policy tell me what you think 210 599 55 55 the um some of the dead were outside the truck when they came upon the truck there was a, a dead body outside the truck like at the at the back of the truck and then they found people dead around the area people that had been so sick and so weak that they got out but they um couldn't make it very far. There was no water in the truck. The truck was not hooked up to a a power source, so the ventilation, the air was not uh, working. Probably one of the most bizarre... Don, tell me when we're ready here. Um, Probably one of the most bizarre things uh, I, I heard, and I read this somewhere, was that the people's bodies had been sprinkled with seasoning... With spices, and that was supposed to be to cover up the smell, because if you could smell a lot of human perspiration, you would know that there were human beings in the back of this truck. I don't know if that's true. that's what they're saying. There's three people in custody. I don't know too much about them right now. We know that in prior episodes where far fewer people died, uh, in at least one of those episodes, the, the smuggler was given a life sentence. But we also know that whoever was driving this truck certainly was not in charge of this operation. They worked for it. What do you think about all this? 210 599 Do you think this is the fault of the current border policies we have? Or do you think this is the fault of, of having a border? that sounds crazy, but again, and forgive me, I haven't kept up to know if this is still their position, but many years ago, when we used to interview libertarian candidates, one of the things they always said that kind of raised eyebrows and got people's attention was they would say the border should be completely open. I don't know if this is their current position, but it was their position in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s that if you have a border and you enforce it, it's dangerous, it gets people hurt, and it isn't productive that we would be better off not having any of that not spending the money not having the cartels not having the, the the crime of smuggling that's what they used to say and um and there were people that believed that and thought that was right although certainly not very many of them 210 599 5555 we're joined on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners newsmaker line now by Republican Texas Congressman Tony Gonzalez. Congressman, thank you for coming on and, and and good evening to you. And I'm sorry that every time we talk to you it seems to be an unspeakable human tragedy, but that's how it's worked out the last couple of times. Um what needs to happen uh after this truck of of death?
2: Yeah, and, and in this horrible Jack. I mean, it's just one catastrophe after another in Biden's America. Uh, look, at the, the, the end of the day, these people didn't die. They weren't. They were. They were murdered. They were really tortured to death. And that's the part that I don't understand. You know, where's the outrage on the other side? Uh, it, it's very simple in my eyes. It's very simple. What needs to happen is Mayorkas really has 30 days to to end this crisis. And and this is how he does it. Here's the secret sauce. One, he re-implements the Trump Pacer program. This was a program that folks, uh, they got their asylum cases heard within days, not years. You had immigration judges to the equation, and then once those, once those cases are heard, if, they, if folks do not qualify for asylum, they get repatriated back to their country of origin. If you do that, you do that for 30 days, and if the governor of Texas, I think if he inspects every truck that comes in to Texas, you do those two things, after 30 days, this all stops and goes away. If Mayorkas if can't implement those things, he needs to resign. That's simple.
0: Now, you know that people are going to say, and they said it the last time these ideas were, were circulated. If you did all those things, you would choke the border so badly that we'd have more of a supply chain problem, more shortages. You'd, you'd, you'd crush businesses because you've got to have the trucking. What is your response to that?
2: And look, Jack. My my district is forty two percent of the border. My communities re, re, uh, we 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 need trade and commerce. It is our our lifeblood. But we also see this border crisis. That's, I mean, there's literally look in Uvalde last week. Uh, our teachers are, are going back to school. They're, they're getting ready for summer school. They're trying to get ready for the next school year, right? And, and what happens? We have a high-speed chase that goes through town. Everybody gets put in lockdown. They're, they're essentially having to relive what happened 30 days ago. So I think everything's on the table. At the end of the day, though, this is a failure of leadership, and it's a failure of leadership by the executive branch, and it starts with DHS Secretary Mayorkas. And if he can't solve this, He needs to go away and let someone else try to do it.
0: It it does look to those of us in the cheap seats, Congressman, like politicians enjoy theories and talking points more than solving problems because that's how you fundraise. I mean, even your party, to be honest, although it's considered tough on on immigration, promised to do something for years and years and never did, but raised a lot of money and got a lot of votes. So you got to forgive us if we're a little cynical to think that maybe no one really wants to fix this,
2: well, I think I think it's, it's beyond cynical. I think it's it's a lot of it is true. And look, one of the things that I've done is go not just talk about it. Let's try to put let's put action behind it. Look, I hosted the president reached out right after Uvalde. I hosted him in Uvalde, and I told him, look, keep politics out of it. At the end of that visit, I, you know, I leaned in and I asked him for one thing. I go, look, it's not the right time. It's not the right place but I want to sit down with you to talk about how we can secure the border. And he agreed to that. And so our staffs have been talking. You know, I hope he takes me up on the offer and we can have a sit-down conversation. Because at the end of the day, I mean, my district is getting t- torn up, inside out, upside down. No one gives a damn about us. I mean, it's just a political football. But our lives are, are – it's chaos. And it has to stop. And, and it's, to me, I think it's, it starts with the president as in a direct conversation.
0: I hope that happens. I hope that happens, and I hope we don't have to have a photo opportunity next to a tractor-trailer on Quintana Road. Congressman, appreciate your time, sir. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jack. Congressman Tony Gonzalez with us, KTSA, Connecticut Quality Water Softeners, Newsmaker Line. I've checked so far, no photo op with AOC next to a tractor-trailer, so we're waiting for that. I still think that's going to happen. We have a president who doesn't know where he is, and apparently before him we had a president who was trying to take the steering wheel away from the Secret Service. That's that's what we heard today anyway. That's what they're claiming. Uh, we'll talk about that. And um, we've been talking about the uh, this semi-truck uh, and these dead illegal immigrants and the politicians that just want to make old speeches and return to old talking points. And, and this is what happens when theory meets reality, right? When when slogans about immigration meet the reality of poverty on one side of the border and prosperity on the other side of the border. Uh, and yeah, people will risk their lives and give their lives to get here. And to some extent that is that is never going to change. That will never completely go away. But what we do about it is our responsibility. It's our piece of it. Wanna know what you think about it. Michael is on five fifty and one oh seven one KTSA. Michael, good evening.
6: Uh how you doing, Jack? Yeah, we're getting some rain here in Koma County. Hopefully you're going some in Bear County. Yes, sir. Yeah, they uh you know, I, I tell you it's it's sad that so many people died in these trailers. Uh and but you know, I used to work for a company, you know, in a driving way. And these newer trailers that they they that they're making they're making them so where they could be opened from the inside you know swinging doors they have a uh, a knob that you turn, and the outside mm-hmm. latch falls off mm-hmm. on one of the doors that will mm-hmm. enable somebody if they're trapped or intentionally put in there they can open it from the inside and the same so you're thing wondering like
0: these- some of them did get out you' some of them did get out but you're wondering maybe like why they didn't get out sooner or is that what you're saying
6: yeah, well if it's an older trailer, you can't open it from the inside. You know, unless right. you have some. Okay, but they did what I'm open. saying is
0: they did the doors were open. They did get out. Not all of them got out, but some of them got out because they found some of them two or three blocks away dead.
6: Wow. So and, yeah, and so what I'm thinking is could
0: they maybe maybe they waited, maybe they're afraid to open the door, maybe they were told not to, and they waited too be. long.
6: That could be. That could be, and that's sad because that's just it's it's just a waste of human life. You know. But I mean you can understand
0: yeah. they're 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 probably told by somebody who's pointing a gun at them, Don't you open the door, don't you make a move, don't make a sound. Um, you know, they're terrified, they're afraid of these people. This isn't like they're traveling on American Airlines, you know, they're they're traveling in the company of, of murderers and they're afraid of yeah. them, and they probably didn't want to do anything that would get themselves hurt.
6: Yeah, and that's sad because you know it's they're just being taken advantage of from the beginning to end, you're literally to the end.
0: Well, and this is why you can't you can't talk about it the way these politicians do. Michael, thank you for the call. You can't talk about this stuff like you're having a seminar, a summer seminar about it. Um it's re- it's the real world. I I, I have relatives up north and i've told this story before god love them but they have those signs in the front yard there's no such thing as an illegal person and so forth and so on by the way they're snobs they wouldn't want an illegal immigrant in their house they wouldn't even want a legal immigrant in their house but but that's but that's another matter but you know this whole there's no such thing as an illegal person and uh border border enforcement is mean and racist yeah see they should talk to the people i hear from every day who are living on the border who are themselves in many cases immigrants or the children of immigrants or the grandchildren of immigrants as we are and you know no it's it's a necessity you have to have borders you ha- you can't have a country without borders you can't have sovereignty without borders the things you think our country should do whatever that is only can happen if we have some control over it and so that's what i mean about the collision between theory and reality the further away you get the more you're in, you're inclined to or you have the luxury of formulating these poetic romantic notions but when you're actually there or you've seen it or you've experienced it or you've looked into the face of it and i don't just mean these these poor souls in the back of this truck god rest them but i'm even talking about the people you see around san antonio who are broiling in the heat, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. You know they got out of a bad situation, but they're not in a great one here. And it's because we have this naivete and this this political, you know, gamesmanship. It's it's just, it, it, it you know you you probably feel like like well, Jack, you got to support one side or the other, right? But you get tired of both sides, don't you? Sometimes I do. Because I, I, you know, we can say, well, Democrats had forty-nine years to do something about abortion that now they say has to be done right away, and Republicans have had decades to do something about immigration, and they and they mostly haven't. Trump dragged them into it. Remember what a fuss they put up. Remember how resistant they were. They they talk about the wall. Kevin McCarthy talks about the wall now like it was his freaking idea. They hated the idea. But they briefly they were challenged on that by somebody in their own midst. But I swear to you I think most of them, not Tony Gonzalez, I think he's a good guy, but I think most of them just they prefer to talk about it than to do anything about it. Sorry, that's what I think. Right now I want to ask you about how you would fix A border where human traffickers just killed 51 people here in San Antonio. I mean, we don't know when they died, but they were found here. How do you fix that? Have you heard something that sounded good to you? Do you have an idea? Do you think the politicians just like keeping it kind of in limbo? They do that with a lot of things. 210-599-5555. I really think if you want to understand politics, you must not understand it as people having meetings to arrive at solutions and solve problems, and they're sitting there with their their chin in their hand, uh, contemplating deep thoughts. Um, A lot of people in politics, maybe not all of them, just want to be in politics. So they do the things that keep them in power, that keep their party sitting pretty. They virtue signal to their base. They keep their base kind of off balance. I'm talking about their supporters. Always tantalizing them, tempting them. You're about to get something good, but it never really happens. Always villainizing the other side. They're the problem. That's why we can't get anything done. It's those states, it's those people, it's people like that. And they're all doing it now. Their idea of a national priority in the middle of dead illegal immigrants, runaway gas prices, empty store shelves, is to have a third impeachment trial for a president who's no longer in office. And today we had the surprise witness. This is it. We've got him now. Uh, do you believe what you heard or heard about today? 210-599-5555. And um, by the way, I, I, I thought Kamala Harris was the border czar. Is that still one of her many titles? Is she still in charge of that issue? So is she on her way? I have to. We'll have to play you some. She did an interview about um with uh, Dana Bash from CNN about a bunch of different things. And when you hear this, you're going to understand why uh you really want Biden to finish this term. Okay, you don't. Whatever you think, you don't. It it doesn't get better if Biden steps down or steps aside or whatever. So anyway, we'll we'll play that for you here coming up. We'll get to your phone calls coming up two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Fifty-one dead, others still in the hospital, uh, some of them in, in very bad shape. Um, they are saying that um, they were from all over. Uh, of the dead, 22 were from Mexico, seven from Guatemala, four from Honduras. They're still trying to identify some of these people. They don't know who they are, much less where they came from. Call came in around 6 o'clock, 6.30 on Monday, and it was an unimaginable scene stacks of bodies in the trailer and dead bodies in the vicinity meaning some people had gotten out john is at 210-599-5555 in ktsa john good afternoon good afternoon
3: um i tell you what there was a gentleman that wrote a paper for the what is it the express now Uh, A few years back about using a business model and a semi-government agency to actually hire these people, do it legally, giving them essentially green cards for short-term work. But it was, in other words, use the government the way it's supposed to be used, use a business model so that everybody, you know, ends up on the legal side. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I've done maybe you remember who that was. I,
0: I, I've heard stuff. I don't remember that specifically. I mean, I've heard people say that, that the way to the way to manage the border is to uh, sort of manage the flow rather than try to prevent or, or discourage people from coming. I just, I don't think you could, I don't think you could just do that, John. You know what I mean? Like, uh, no, I, I don't no, think you not- could just say, well, we'll make sure there's a job for every one of these people.
3: Correct. You're right. I mean, but what you're doing is, is you're, 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 uh, essentially, you're going to have to do people, You're going to have to secure the border. But at the same time, those that are wanting to work, they're coming here to do work. Now you have that an agency that they can go to in their home home country and say, I'm applying right. for work in your country. Right. Uh, but, again...
0: That that implies that you actually want to solve the problem, though, rather than just keep people excited it's about not, it.
3: Yeah, just, it, just yeah, it, it's corruption so bad.
0: Yeah.
3: It, it, mm-hmm. it, how do we get past that, that part? I, that's the only. Exactly.
0: Right, right. Yeah, there's the corruption, and there's also the political advantage. Thank you, John. There's the political advantage of never fixing it. See, that's one of the things I think the left is so—they're just you know, wetting themselves over this abortion decision because now they're going to have to actually write legislation, cast votes. Some of them are not going to be comfortable voting for things that they they claim they support, but they've never had to put their name on. I'm in favor of a woman being able to... Yeah, but now you're going to have to put your name on a yes vote for certain icky, graphic specific things they hate that T- trust me i've interviewed a lot of these people they're great with the generalities they don't want to be pinned down on the specifics it's why we don't have a lot of guests on this show because it, i i can already tell you what most of them are going to say on both sides there's no point having them on i um i do think that the, the if you if you understand that the political parties would rather not solve this then you're halfway home to figuring out what we will have to do to solve it. It, they, it will be solved in spite of them, not with them. Does that make sense? I, I also think, and I, you know, I don't want to get too cynical here or put too many layers on all at once, but you do realize how many members of Congress are under the thumb of foreign powers, and therefore they can't get too muscular about... Immigration, visas, things like that, deportations, because they, they work for somebody and it ain't you. You know, if we knew even the tip of the iceberg, we'd be so disgusted, we'd probably give up on these people. I, you know, there's been people like Peter Schweitzer and others who've written books about who owns and the foreign interests and the inside insider stock trading, and it's both parties. But... You have to factor that in, okay? So poor, desperately poor countries aren't too poor to buy American politicians. And they do. And they make sure that nothing too dramatic or drastic gets done here. And look what happened to the guy that did do some dramatic, drastic things or proposed them. And you'll know everything you need to know about the likelihood of that happening again. So I I, I I, feel for these people, and I pray for them, and I know that you ache for them as well, but the people we're turning to, unfortunately, maybe the worst people we could be turning to for all of this. And now we have the Biden family, finally in the place they always thought and hoped and believed they should be, the White House. And the... Um, reports you probably have heard if not I'm going to play them for you here in a minute um there are now um and I think it came from uh the Times of London and the Washington Examiner but there are now voicemails and emails and videos of Joe and Hunter Biden talking about Hunter's business deals the family's business involvement with China and other foreign powers Joe Biden giving Hunter Biden Money for hookers, and I mean, it's all of this was out there before the 2020 election. Hearing about it now is kind of interesting and also pretty much useless, right? But anyway, we'll we'll hear it. Um, in late uh, 2018, December 2018, uh, the New York Times was running a story about the Biden family's dealings with some Chinese tycoons of questionable caliber. And Joe Biden called his son, Hunter, to discuss the Times article. That uh, call was backed up on the now infamous laptop, and this is what it sounded like, cut number one.
6: Hey, pal, it's Dad, it's eight fifteen 15 On uh, Wednesday night, good a chance to be called. Not, nothing, nothing, just want to talk to you. I thought the article released, thing on online, It's going to be printed one time. It's good. I need you clear and uh Anyway, um, we get a chance to
3: call. That was Joe Biden there
0: leaving a voicemail. I think you're okay. That was the we don't need all the anchor stuff. Uh, I think you're in the clear, he says. In the clear of what? I thought Joe Biden never discussed with Hunter Biden any of his business dealings, didn't even know about them. You know, I'm of two minds when I hear that call, and this may surprise some of you who think you have me all figured out, but. yeah I think the Biden family is corrupt, and they're in up to their elbows, but Joe Biden does sound like a guy who is who realizes his son is a cock up and is is just heart sick over it i mean i really i I don't believe all the bluster about he's the smartest man I've ever known, and I know he never did anything wrong. Joe Biden knows his son is a mess, but it's too late to do anything about it. He's nearly eighty his son's in his fifties. Whatever happened now has happened. Uh, And in that moment, in that that regard, and maybe only in that regard, I get it. The kid is a total train wreck. Total nightmare. And Hunter Biden, if he was your relative, would be all by himself a reason you could never get any kind of security clearance at all. But again, it's the rules are different for politicians. So I I think the article is going to be printed tomorrow. It's good. I think you're clear, he says. And then there's a record, according to the Washington Examiner, of all this money that Hunter Biden is spending on prostitutes around this same time, and Joe Biden is wiring Hunter Biden money, not implicitly for prostitutes. He may not know that's what it's going for. Hunter Biden keeps telling his family, I'm broke. It's, you should be embarrassed by how broke I am. How can you How can you know that the son of a former vice president doesn't have two dimes to rub together? So he's getting money from dad, he's getting money from his sister, and um, he claims at one point he needs 20 grand for drug rehab, he doesn't go to drug rehab. Um, there's video of him with this Russian prostitute uh, who, it, it, when you listen to and watch the video, it appears that she has just accused him of assaulting her. And he is talking to her about that. And this is, this is pretty, pretty nasty, but I want you to hear it. Cut number three.
6: Sweetheart.
2: Hey. Hey. Are you okay? Everything fine? Are you hurt in any way? Any, any way, are you hurt? Hey, is anything hurt on you? Anything? I was literally saying, I'm sorry that it took so long to give you $10,000. Do you have any bruise? Anything? Is any? Have I ever touched you in a bad way? Ever? Have I asked you every time if I could touch you? Every time. Sweetheart, look at me. You cannot talk to me that way and say things like that because I'm more respectful than anyone you've ever met. Are you okay? What?
1: I thought you said you wanted water. It's the only water I had.
0: Sounds like a hell of a guy. This is somebody that used his family name to make business deals, to make millions of dollars. God knows where the money went because he never seems to have any. Um, but when you look at this, and this is just one American political family out of who knows how many. But when you look at the history of leveraging the family name to make money and make it with some of the worst people on Earth, these these uh, Chinese tycoons are in tight with their, their communist government. They are directly responsible for slave labor. They're directly responsible for Weiger concentration camps. They're directly responsible for white-collar crime like uh, counterfeiting and and intellectual property theft. When When you hear this, when you see this tip of this iceberg, you begin to understand how compromised we are as a country, whether it's borders, whether it's trade, whether it's oil, we are compromised as a country. We sometimes talk about the problems we have or the challenges we have in terms of the, the facts of the issue. But it isn't, it isn't that simple, right? When the people in charge are owned or owed. And that's what's happening here. But I'll leave you with this. I'm not trying to tell you what to think about it. You can, make any, you can form any conclusion you want about this. You, you don't need me to tell you what to think probably too many people in your life trying to tell you what to think. I won't be one of them. But I'll just leave you with this. All of this garbage, all of this absolute sewage that has come out after the election, right, all of this. Remember, they, the, there was there were glimmers of it before the election. The New York Post got taken off of Twitter and the rest of the media... Took this this um, white glove attitude. Oh, we're not we're not lowering ourselves to these these rumors and these innuendo. Well, what good does it do to find out about it now? The guy's president. Daddy is in the White House. The big guy is in the White House. Would it have made a this is this is my point? Would it have made a difference if people knew some of this, heard some of this, saw the video of of Hunter Biden? being really nasty with this Russian girl, would it have mattered? Maybe it wouldn't have. You know, maybe had people known, just just had the chance to consider. I mean, not that everybody would have believed it, not that everybody would have said, I I totally, but I mean, just, just if they'd had it available to them. Like, you're getting all this J6 stuff, but you may not believe it. You may not think it's true. You may think this Cassidy Hutchison is is making it up, but but at least it's it's in front of you. They made sure none of this was in front of you till after the big guy was elected. What good is it now, right? What do you do with it now, other than shake your head? Oh, this should never have happened. Thirty-six. our KTSA News Time. Jack Riccardi, my dreadful little show here for a few more minutes. We'll have the results in the poll question coming up. Um, so we're either going to get now a, a presidential visit to Quintana Road, or maybe the border czar, Vice President Kamala Harris, will come. Not really relishing either one of those. Doesn't solve anything, doesn't do anything. It's more of what we already have, which is politicians' virtue signaling over a real human problem. The vice president was interviewed by Dana Bash on CNN last night. Now, CNN's a pretty friendly place for Democrats, generally, but remember they have that new boss who's trying to supposedly, allegedly, trying to drag them a little more to the center. I don't know if that had anything to do with the tenor of the questions. They were not hard questions, but they were hard for Kamala Harris. For example, Dana Bash asks she quotes President Biden as saying that Roe is on the ballot this fall. And she says to the Veep, what what do you tell Democratic voters who worked hard to elect a Democratic President and Vice President, a Democratic House, a Democratic Senate, um, why haven't you already acted the way you're saying you're going to act now? Cut number four.
4: What do you say to Democratic voters who argue, wait a minute, we worked really hard to elect a Democratic president yeah. and vice president, yeah. Democratic-led House, yeah. a Democratic-led Senate. Do it now. But do what now? Uh, what now? I mean, we, we need, we listen, what we did, we extended the child tax credit for the well, first I'm year. Well, I'm sorry, when I say right? do what, yeah. do it now. Yeah. Act uh, legislatively to make abortion rights legal. We feel the same way. Do it now. Congress needs to do it now in terms of permanently putting in place a a, a clear indication that it is the law of the land that women have the ability and the right to make decisions about their reproductive care, and the government does not have the right to make those decisions for a woman.
0: She really doesn't do her homework, does she? She just kind of wings it. And you would, too, if every interviewer pitched softballs at you. But now that they're throwing overhand on occasion, it really starts to show. Do what now, <laughs> she says to the interviewer. And then she's asked about the filibuster, uh, because the filibuster is in the way of Congress uh, codifying Roe v. Wade. Listen to this, cut number five.
4: As the vice president, as the president of yeah. the Senate, do you have a position on, I know you don't have a vote on it, but do you have a position on whether the filibuster should be eliminated? I think us? the president has spoken on that issue. And well, he the, said oh, more, he kind of left the door open. Is this where he was leaving the door open to? I think that he has been clear about where we stand on, on this issue of reproductive health and what the president and our administration have within our toolkit to do. And so, so far, that's what we've been pursuing.
0: I'm the first ever woman vice president, but I'm not going to say anything about this or have an opinion about it because my boss, the president, has already spoken. Okay. (laughs) All right. And then Dana Bash asks about the economy, about inflation, about $5 a gallon gas. What are you going to do about that? Well, we need to do something about it, she says. Cut number six. Is there
4: anything else you can do to help bring down the cost of gas? Yeah, well, first of all, let's just say that this is, this is a very real issue. And um, we have to do something about it. And it's one of our highest priorities.
0: It's all, everything is their highest priority. Every, remember when they were running, it was, we're going to do that on day one. We're going to do that in the first 100 days. Now they're in. We're way past the first 100 days. Now it's highest priority. I think about that every day. The president works on that every day. He's doing everything in his power. And Bash is saying, yeah, but what? I don't know. Let me come back to um, abortion, because this was a really bizarre uh, sequence of comments. So Kamala Harris is talking about what people should think about, what's at stake, when it comes to abortion rights and most people think about and talk about our daughters their daughters but Kamala Harris who, who doesn't have any sons says you should think of your son when it comes to the abortion question cut number eight listen to this
4: we think about it everyone has something at risk on this first of all if you are a parent of sons do think about what this means for the life of your son and what that will mean in terms of the choices he will have.
0: Okay, if I'm interpreting that right, that is a pretty nasty statement. So, your son is going to be a horned dog. Sooner or later, he's going to knock up some girl. If there isn't legal abortion. Your son is screwed. that That's her argument. I mean, that is a terrible argument. I mean, I thought Lily had some bad arguments yesterday, but... That is a terrible argument. This is the highest-ranking elected woman in the country. And this is the future standard-bearer of the Democratic Party. She says, by the way, she understands abortion because she is the daughter of a woman. Cut number nine.
4: And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it Um, because they actually did it. And and here's what they did. The court actually took a constitutional right that has been recognized for half a century and took it from the women of America. That's shocking. When you think about it, in terms of what that means, in terms of democratic principles, in terms of the ideals upon which we were founded, about liberty, about freedom, Um, You know, I thought about it as, you know, a parent. We have two children who are in their 20s, a son and a daughter. I thought about it as a godparent of teenagers. I thought of it as an aunt of of preschool children. And a woman yourself. And a woman myself. And the daughter of a woman. And a granddaughter of a woman. And, you know, my husband and I are actually talking about it. We have a a 23-year-old. And my mother in laws in her 80s. Our okay,
0: daughter. So anyway, you get the idea. What a coincidence, because, you know, I'm the son of a woman. That's, I, that's something that Kamala Harris and I have in common. I don't know about you, but both she and I were born of a woman. I really feel almost like a, like a bond with her now. I only wish you could share in that experience that Kamala Harris and I have had. You know what's really bull bleep is when she says she was shocked by the Supreme Court decision. Let me let me just let me just remind you of something. For years, every time a Republican appointed a federal judge or a Supreme Court justice, and not just Donald Trump, when George W. Bush was nominating people like John Roberts and Sam Alito, every time Republicans nominated somebody to the federal bench, They talked about the impending death of Roe v. Wade. They talked about the threat to women's reproductive health. They can't be shocked. They're the ones who said this would happen. They're the ones that made it clear to their own base that abortion was at stake with every Supreme Court and federal court appointment, every time. They said that. They raised scads of campaign money. They sent out, you know, fundraising emails on this issue right after Trump nominated Barrett. That's, remember, that's when Schumer said, oh, you know, the the, the hounds of hell and uh, reap the wind. And They've been saying this for years. They, they can be mad about it. They don't get to be surprised by it. That is such a load of horse pucky, I I don't even know where to begin. That's so ridiculous. And the part about you should support abortion if you have a son is telling. Because that's a pretty dim view of raising young men. We need legal abortion because young men need the access to ending pregnancies they caused and don't want to be responsible for. These are not good people. These are not our betters. You know? They act like our overlords. They act like our moral betters. But they're not. If that's how they view this, and maybe it is and maybe it isn't, maybe she's just saying a bunch of words, but if if that's how they view this, we need to have legal abortion because boys will be boys, that's pathetic. And it doesn't say much. If you're, if you're raising young men of principle and responsibility and you've drilled into them and maybe even spanked into them the idea of manning up and taking responsibility for what you do, and yes, you will be responsible. And no, you will not walk away you know i know people who raise their their sons like this i know families that work like this i i agree we don't have enough of them but i'm not i'm not going to say we don't have any of them but that's her argument that's what they've reduced this to it's it's it, it's kind of unintentionally funny right so she's pleading to the other demographic the the uncaring Knuckle dragging, jerk males. Hey, if you want to have your fun, got to have legal abortion. Our poll results tonight. We were asking you about yesterday's rain. Did you get the rain yesterday? Fifty three percent said no. Forty seven percent said yes. Hopefully, more of you got it today. It seems like there was more of it and it was more widespread today. I hope you get some or you got some rain. That is new JR poll tomorrow. We get started at uh, four o'clock. So Mel Brooks is 96 years old today. Happy birthday, Melvin Kaminsky. Born Melvin Kaminsky in New York City, June 28, 1926. One of the most interesting things about Mel Brooks is that he, he grew up poor. He fell in love with the theater when he was taken to a Broadway show as a little boy. He had an uncle who drove a cab, got some tickets, took him. Decided that's what he wanted to do with his life. He labored really on the outskirts of the industry for quite a while. He was middle-aged when he began to have success as a filmmaker in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. He was past the age when people are often told to abandon their dreams or get real or you need to get a real job. Thank God Mel Brooks didn't do that when he was at that age. He became an incredibly successful filmmaker with movies like The Producers, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, High Anxiety, History of the World, Spaceballs, and and many more. I want to play for you a couple of moments from my favorite Mel Brooks movie, which is 1977's High Anxiety. It was a tribute to and a takeoff on Arthur Hitchcock movies, Alfred Hitchcock movies, and um Here's the scene where um, Mel Brooks, as the director of the Psychotherapy Institute for the Very, Very Nervous, meets head nurse, played by Cloris Leachman, Nurse Diesel.
1: Dr. Thorndike, I am simply delighted to meet you in person. read everything that you've ever written on psychiatry. Your lectures, your monographs, your books. I am absolutely thrilled that you are going to take over the Institute. Well, thank you, um, um... Oh, Wentworth, Dr. Philip Wentworth. Philip Wentworth, a pleasure. I've been with the Institute for two years now, and I just know that things are going to change for the better now that you're here. You see, ever since Dr. Ashley died, things have been happening here that are very strange. Wentworth! The eminent Dr. Thorndike, it's a great day here at the Institute for the very, very nervous. May I say that we've been looking forward with much anticipation to your arrival. Oh, allow me to introduce myself. I am Dr. Charles Montague. I was in charge here until you showed up. A hand! Oh, allow me to introduce Nurse Diesel, my right-hand man, woman.
6: Dr. Thorndike, how do you do? Charlotte Diesel, I have left a complete medical file of everyone in the Institute here in your room. Sure you'll want to rest a bit and freshen up before you meet the rest of the staff. Dinner is served promptly at eight in the private dining room. Those who are tardy do not get fruit cup. Excuse me. Well, Dr. Thorndyke, may I say
1: Charles Goodbye? Do you see what I mean? What I'm trying to tell My you. Wife. Is goodbye.
0: Mm. So many greats in that scene. You have Dick Van Patten, you have Harvey Corman, the late Cloris Leachman... And so many great scenes in that movie. Uh, one, of the, one of the cool things about that movie is that Mel Brooks uh, wrote the title song and sings it in the movie, High Anxiety. And Mel Brooks never learned how to write or read music. He would hum a melody into a tape recorder, and then he'd have people that knew how to do that stuff write the, the notes and, and, and put it together. And, and that's what he did for all of the songs and, and music that he composed for all of his movies. Happy 96th birthday to Mel Brooks. Come back and see us live at four tomorrow or anytime on demand, KTSA.com.